Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Quorum Deo Church and Pastor Chris Hemmelman of First City Church. Every Wednesday, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. And today we're asking, how should the church do mercy ministry? And this comes to us from listener email, uh, David Roden, and I will read a little bit of his email to kind of get us started. So he said, hey, podcast team, thanks for all you do. My topic is related to the local church's role in mercy ministry. Forgive me if you've already had an episode related to this, but I didn't see one available in the episodes online. I've been reading Alex DePrima's new book, Spurgeon and the Poor, How the Gospel Compels Christian Social Concern. I think most remember Spurgeon for his gospel preaching, but he was also a prolific advocate for serving the poor and needing through his church. By 1884, the Metropolitan Tabernacle was running 66 benevolent ministries, encompassing just about every human need at that time. Spurgeon seemed convinced that serving in mercy ministry was an essential task for all believers and meant to be a function of the local church rather than an assignment for parachurch organizations. I'd be curious to hear more about what you guys think the function of mercy ministry is in the life of the local church. What a great question. You're telling me, David, that we've done 441 episodes and you couldn't find one where we talked about this? I think you might be right. I don't ever remember talking about this. (laughs) I also think that's a good way to just say like, hey, uh, just tackle it. Tackle this anyway. I I like that he searched through 400 episodes. Like, yeah, you guys actually haven't talked about this. You're right. We haven't. And this is one reason why, you know what? There's always more to talk about when you're talking about the kingdom of God and the scriptures. So thanks for teeing up a good question, David. Um, And actually, we haven't had any conversation around this table about how the four of us think about this topic. So there may be differences in terms of how Mm -hmm. we think the church should engage this. Um, I have a, I've, I looked at this email when Bethany sent it to us and said, Hey, here's a topic. And, uh, so I've been pondering it for a week or two. And, uh, I do have a perspective on it. I have a way that I answer this question and that I answer it on behalf of Quorum Deo. Uh, I don't think it's the only way to answer it though. So I'm, I'm intrigued where, um, there might be some, I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that there's an answer to this question as much as there might be ways the church thinks about engaging this. So let me give you, first of all, my perspective on this, which is uh, greatly indebted to Mark Dever. Uh, Mark Dever was the first person that I heard sort of draw this distinction, and it was very helpful to me. Mark Dever said, there are things the church should do, and there are things Christians should do, and those are not just one category. So Dever says, hey, the, the commission given to the church is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So he says that the primary mission of the church is baptizing and teaching, or baptizing and disciple-making. You might think of it that way. And so the, the church is a converting and discipling entity, focused especially on the preaching of the Word of God and the preaching of the gospel and the practicing of the sacraments, especially as we look at the, the, the way the church has historically carried that out. In addition to that, there are a million things that Christians should be taking the lead on to 
as we pray in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we ask like, what does it mean for the kingdom of God to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, it means educating kids and it means dealing with poverty and it means overcoming inequalities and in, in unjust systems. And it means dealing with, uh, you know, criminal rehabilitation and dealing with issues like drug abuse and uh, addictions and so forth. And so there's all kinds of mercy related ministries that Christians need to take the lead in. The question you seem to be asking, David, is should the church do those? And it sounds like you're saying that this this author, Alex DePrima, is saying that in Spurgeon's situation, he believed the church should primarily do all of that. And so he had all these benevolence-driven ministries that Metropolitan Tabernacle was engaged in and doing. And I would say, and the city of London was better off for it, and it's a beautiful thing in the history of the church. I think that's a different thing than should every church do that or must every church do that? My answer to that would be no. My answer is a church is free to determine, hey, which things as a church are we going to sort of make primaries? We think about mercy ministry. And then which things do we just want to say, hey, Christians, go live your life in the world and man, start charities and invest in and serve in nonprofits and, you know, make the city better, but feel free to do that in all the ways that you want to partnering with people from other churches and partnering with people who aren't Christians and so forth. So I don't know, Chris, how do you think about that? So let me, let me answer that by asking a question. Oh, wow. When you, (laughs) when you look at the passage of scripture that talk about caring for the poor, how many of those passages are talking about caring for the poor outside the church? Or outside the community of God's people, I think zero. Yeah, I would. I would argue that the one that you could potentially argue a yes is when it talks about caring for the foreigner or the you know the the person passing through. But even that, the idea is that they have been they're they're inter- there's a sense of which they've been integrated, and also that's Old Testament. So national people of God and spiritual people of God, it's it's a little bit different than the church. But yes, the answer to your question is yes, Bob. Probably zero. Uh, at best, maybe a few you could you could argue about, and and so what what that means is, or what I would say that points to is not necessarily the church shouldn't be engaged in mercy ministry outside the church, but that the framework for mercy is a framework of community care, like that you're caring for people within the community, and it's there's a sense in which it is caught up with that discipleship aspect in the sense that, Hey, we're discipling one another. We're teaching one another, proclaiming the gospel. You come into the community of God, your family. Now we care for you. So the, the ways that I have thought through this and talked about this and have been influenced. There was a pastor in Alexandria, Virginia, his name's Chris six. And he, he was a guy that did a lot of work with the PCA. And he talked about how mercy ministry is done. When it is done is done through the community of the church. And so what, what they did at their church is if someone reached out to them, they were very, very honest, like, hey, we care for people who are part of our church. If you want to come be part of our community, be discipled, be cared for as part of this community, we, we will welcome you with open arms. And they would also, when they thought about caring for people in the community, they would think about how can we bring people in? So he told this one story about how the, you, know, the, you see the, the call to care for widows and orphans in James. They're like, we don't have any widows in our church. We need to go bring some widows into our church. And so they started an outreach to the nursing home where they would go and they would bring people to church on Sundays and then they would just begin developing relationships and caring for them again through the community. And so the way that I would argue it is that the church should be seeing 
mercy ministry as first and foremost, a primary, you're caring for people in the church and that that framework should actually, to whatever degree you're doing it outside the church, should be carried outside the church. So you're thinking through not just how can I meet needs, but how am I actually caring for you spiritually, discipling you, bringing you into the community. So, so those two things kind of work hand in glove. But I would say, Bob, to your point, that there is a difference between how the church as a church is doing that and then how individual Christians go and do that. And so I agree with that point. I would just kind of add this layer that really the, the framework for how we're doing this is within the church community. I would also point out that Metropolitan Tabernacle was a mega, mega, mega church. Yeah, it was a big church. It was the largest church in London in the 19th century. And so arguably the more people and resources a church has, the more it actually can tackle big, hairy problems, right? And just say, hey, we are going to make a dent in this city in these areas. And so, but but I guess what I'm saying is I would want to be careful that we don't take Spurgeon and the resource base of that church and make that normative for the church planter that has 50 people that's meeting in elementary school. And we're saying you should be doing 82 mercy yeah, ministries exactly. like Spurgeon. You know, it's just like th- there is, I think, scriptural freedom here to say churches, elders, and church members should be asking, Hey, what are the, what are the things we really want to take responsibility for as the church? Are there mercy ministries that just connect to our neighborhood or our call to make disciples in the part of the city that we're in? If so, then let's engage in those as the church. And then how do we just empower and free Christians to say, man, let's do all kinds of things. But we, it's different to me to say, like, I, you know, we have a large church with lots of members. I love knowing all the stuff our members are doing in the city. That's very different than saying Cormdale Church should be doing all those things in the city because then, then you start to have to think about how do we resource that? How do we staff that? How do we manage that? How do we budget for that? And it soon becomes an overwhelming burden on the systems and structures of the church that start to work against the capacity to actually disciple and preach the gospel. And so I think that's the the thing Dever helped me see was, hey, we don't have to choose between those things. It's just one of them is the primary mission of the church. The other is a calling to the people of God in the world. And that has, what's that, what that has freed us up to do here in Omaha, Nebraska is to say, cool, we know lots of Christians investing in lots of amazing mercy ministry things in our city. And so when what they are doing lines up with some callings we feel as a church, we just say, cool, let's let's throw some energy yeah. at that. Yeah. Let's throw some resources at that. So I'll give you a couple examples. When we moved to the neighborhood that we're in, we did a 360 neighborhood survey, and we learned that, man, one of the places that there's real need in this particular neighborhood is just in resourcing the school district when it comes to like mentors and reading partners for kids at the elementary school and physically showing up and helping schools, you know, painting elementary school classrooms and helping to do um, work with, you know, faculty and stuff like that. So we just said, Hey, one of the things we're going to do because we're right here in the middle of the school district is we're going to serve in those ways. Why? Because they, that particular aspect of mercy ministry for our church, a is a need identified by the neighbors around us and B connects pretty tightly to our mission of discipleship because actually we, I mean, we share a parking lot with one of the largest high schools in Omaha and to the extent that we're good neighbors and are kind to them and show generosity toward them, you know, people who are looking for a church are going to find their way into our church and going to connect to discipleship. And so we, we see a good symbiosis there. There are other 
ministries or Christian-led nonprofits in the city, things like uh, the Bethlehem House or Assure Women's Center or In Common Community Development, th- things that we just say, cool, and we love them, and we're going to throw energy and resources behind them in various ways as well, but they're not as central as some of the things we've chosen just because of where we are in the neighborhood. Yeah, and we've take a very, taken a very similar approach at First City. What we I've, I've always told folks is what I would love to see is with, with you all doing stuff in the city, if that starts to gain momentum, that enough of you get involved and there, there seems to be kind of a, a forward momentum where like, Hey, let's get behind. seems like the Lord's doing something there. Are there ways the church can get behind that more to kind of add, add fuel to the fire in some ways, but, but also being careful to, to try to artificially kind of construct, uh, Oh, we see this need in the city. That sounds like a good thing to do. Let's try, sort of like, if we build it, they will come to a type of approach and to me, I mean, again, not to say that that's, that's wrong, but we've, I found personally and what we found at first city is when you do that, it's almost like you come to this place of like, Hey guys, we have this thing. Will you please join it versus, Hey, the Lord has actually been convicting our people. They've been faithfully following here. And it seems like he's bearing fruit there. It's just a different starting place. And, and we've just found it to be more fruitful to, to grow something and get behind something when it just seems like the Lord is really kind of working in people's hearts. I've always thought that mercy ministry for, especially for a church should be local. You shouldn't have to go reach for a thing so that you can tell your congregation, Hey guys, we're doing this thing over here and there's really no skin in the game. So that's why I love the West side, you know, like we're, we're parked here. So with this neighboring high school, it seems like this is a very obvious thing we should be a part of, but it doesn't look the same because it's, it's where we're at. And it's actually in a pretty affluent area. I mean, not the, not every kid coming to that high school is coming from an affluent area, but, or from a affluent home, but this is a pretty well to do high school. If you were to look at it from the outside, you'd, you'd think they don't have any needs. Yeah. So it wouldn't classify as mercy ministry, mm. right. In a lot of people's eyes, That's we're not point. downtown. We're not, yep. you know, so anyway, I just, that has helped me shift my view on what mercy ministry is. This is extending mercy to an actual neighbor physically, spiritually speaking too. And I've always, I've always approached this, you know, I, I tend to throw in a lot. I tend to think through a lot of things through the lens of family and discipleship and stuff like that. And so I've always thought about that with my kids. So instead of depending on the church for that, it seems like this is a Christian thing to do to your point earlier. So one of the, we don't do this every year, but one of the things we did for a long time when our kids were younger was say, all right, here's some money at Christmas time. And we need to give this to somebody in need. And in our church, that always went to some single mom, you know, because they would be aware of this gal in our GC or our gospel community or something. And, and they, and so what I'm trying to do there is foster a sense of mercy in a discipleship way to your point, Mm -hmm. Chris, right now, right here, but also hopefully bless somebody in meet a need. So it's a Christian thing and it can also happen right in your church. I literally just came out of a conversation with a, gal who's going through a divorce. She's, you know, functioning right now as a single mom met with her with another gal in our church. And both of our hearts were broken coming out of that situation. And so we were talking about discipleship in the context of gospel community, getting her connected to other people that can help her with some pretty tangible needs, because that's what scripture calls us to when it comes to taking care of widows and orphans. I would extend that to say in 2023, that probably means some single moms, you know, I think you, going back to something you said a few minutes ago, Chris, connecting benevolence to community and care. Um, 
we, we've tried to incentivize the people of Cormdeo to say, we have benevolence funds available. Like we set aside money in our budget to help people in need, but we're not going to help random strangers off the street. Yeah, yep. We're going to help people who you know, who are connected to you. And so there's been some really beautiful stories of how that happened. We had someone a few years ago who their neighbor's house burned down. And so they were just like, Hey, this person had a fire. They lost everything. And our church community just rallied around them and basically like took care of a ton of their needs in that season yeah. of need. And it was a beautiful outreach because these people were like, who are these people helping us find a place to live and buying us furniture and helping us settle our affairs? And the answer is just some Christians that I'm, that my, that the neighbor is connected to. Yeah. And so it's a beautiful way to sort of actually connect the gospel to that kind of benevolence because the, when people ask, why are you doing this? The answer is because we're the church and I live next door to you and these people are all connected to me. And so here's a way where we can come over and, and help in a time of need. And that seems to be the, the best way to sort of sync up mercy ministry to the proclamation of the gospel. Um, now I think there are, I mean, I'm curious because maybe in asking the question, I assume that the author of this book that David is mentioning might take the point of view that like, Hey, churches should be personally starting mercy ministries as Spurgeon did and like innovating these kinds of ideas. And I'm not opposed to that. I just think that that has to be the, the only realistic way to do that is out of the spirits work in individual church members. So like you said, Chris, Hey man, dozens of people in our church are all motivated about this particular need. Okay. Well then maybe the spirit's up to something and we should get behind that as a church. That's different than one person raising their hand and saying, Hey, I see a need over here. Let's build a ministry to go meet it. Right. In one sense, you're, you're allowing the spirit to work through the people of the church moving towards something. And in another sense, it's sort of like, Hey, why don't the church fix that problem and that problem and that problem and that problem and that problem. And that starts to get overwhelming. And I think doesn't honor the way the spirit actually works through the body. I think it's also strategic for certain Christians to give themselves to a full thing, a nonprofit thing. And then we can get behind them with, with that resourcing and that energy. And we can support it in a way that's not farming it out necessarily to the parachurch, but is getting behind it, putting some gas on that, on that fire in a way that says, Hey, you can do this all day long, all week long, better than we can. Yeah. And so we're going to support that. And we have done some of that in the past. Yeah. That's what we, we have thought through those things. Okay. What, what are ways in which first city has kind of a thing that it's doing and what are the ways that we're partnering with? And, and most of the stuff that we do is partnering with, and we're really good partners. Like that's the consistent feedback is, um, so I'll give you two examples. Um, so there's an organization in Omaha called embrace the nations. They deal with immigrant refugee families. And we have, uh, one of our members works for embrace the nations and, and she, she just shared her heart for this. And we have a few other folks in our church that have a heart, uh, for immigrant refugee families. And so we started small, like, Hey, who's interested in this? Here's an opportunity. You know, you kind of do the, the kind of interest meeting. And there were, there was a quite a few people that were interested in doing this. But what we said was, Hey, if we're going to do this, we want to do this for the long term and develop relationships. And so it was beautiful to see people embrace that perspective of like, we're, we want to actually become friends with these people and get to know them and care for them for the long term, not just like provide for a short, short amount of time. And then just, you know, be blessed, be filled, hope, hope you integrate well. So that's been really beautiful to see. And there's another organization we partner with that um, cares for underprivileged uh, kids through guidance counselors. So it's a group of churches that they're connected to guidance counselors in the, the school system in Bellevue. 
And those counselors let this organization know, hey, there's needs with these families and the churches seek to meet those needs, but do that by developing relationships. And so through those opportunities, we have developed not just relationships with the organizations, but with families. And that's been really beautiful to see because we're, we're again, we're, we're kind of ex, um, expressing that, that value we have of we're doing this through community. We're building relationships. We're not meeting needs is important. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, to your point, Bob, what are we about sharing the gospel and making disciples? And so if there's not an avenue for that, and if we're not building relationships with people, then we've decided as a church, Hey, that's just not for us. Cause that's not, doesn't really fit our philosophy. Now I will say, one of the things that provokes me about this question is I think our church, I would say, I think our church is doing less in mercy ministry than it could be. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah. I think like we're a well-resourced church there's popular opportunities we're not taking advantage of that we could be. And if that's true in our church, I imagine it's true in a lot of churches mm-hmm. where it's just like, man, there's more we could be doing. And I think that I want to empower listeners here to say, man, if you're the kind of person who, has a vision and a heart for mercy ministry and wants to see the church doing more. And you're identifying men, here's a need around us, or here's some people I'm connected to that we, that we could be serving, helping meeting in a more specific way. I always just want to say, Hey, church member, man, take the initiative there. Let's, let's figure something out. I'm as a church leader. I'm like, I love when people are like, Hey, there's a problem here. I figured out a way to solve it. I've already kind of got it rolling down the hill. Do you want to put some momentum behind it? My answer is always yes. If you come to me and like, here's a problem, you should solve it. Then I'm like, well, you know what? I, my, <laughs> I got 15 other problems. I got a lot of problems solve, yeah. I'm trying to solve. And as a pastor, my primary calling is preaching the gospel. And you know, like uh, I have a, I have a work I am having to give my energy to, but I would love to, as a leader, put the resources and momentum of the church behind other things to breathe life into them. And so this really is a place where the priesthood of all believers can come into play in really helpful ways as people are able to say, Hey, let's move toward this need. Let's tackle this problem. Let's meet this challenge in our city. Let me pull some people behind me and let's have Christians lead the way over here in this area. Here's another question that David asks. Should all believers be regularly serving the poor and needy in the same way that they should be praying, reading the word, attending church services, which kind of, I was thinking about this and kind of wondering the same thing. Like, should, is it fair to, to say that every Christian should have a category for mercy ministry within their, uh, spiritual formation or journey or whatever? I don't see how you can answer that. No, biblically. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it seems to me like, yes, the scriptures call us to like, you know, even when Paul says, I only say, I, I, we urge you to remember the poor. Right. Um, so I, I think there is a imperative, a biblical imperative for Christians to be involved in mercy ministry. I think what makes that a little sticky. So I think that needs to be a challenge to American Christians, particularly because we tend to be isolated from those opportunities. You know, the way we can live our lives can isolate us from clear mercy ministry needs in a way that wasn't possible a couple hundred years ago for the average person. But the other caveat there is that can also take a lot of different shapes, you know, like um, Dusty, to use your story as an example, right? Like actually the neighbors who had you over when you were a kid were kind oh, of in a man. way practicing mercy ministry toward All a kid, toward a yeah. kid with, a, with a pretty fraught home life. So there are, I think, lots of ways that actually Christians can be active in mercy ministry that doesn't look like, 
I'm engaged in a homeless ministry, I'm helping with addicts or whatever it could look like, man, the kid across the street, I'm aware of the brokenness in his life. And we're just trying to open our lives to him. So as long as we have those categories, I think what I, what I start to fear here is, is creating, you know, weird shoulds of like, here's what it looks like for the, for Christians to be involved in mercy ministry. And I will say (laughs) early in Coram Deo in ways that were good and challenging for me, but also in ways I sometimes regret. I think we were a little heavy handed of like, here's what it means to be involved in emergency ministry. And if you're not doing this, you don't care about the poor. And I'm like, well, <laughs> and I think, you know, that's a, there's a little youthful um, zeal there, but also, so, so I guess I'm saying, I don't know how to, I want to match a prophetic call to the American church here with a very broad definition of like, man, a lot of things can take the shape of mercy ministry that don't look on the outside always like mercy ministry. Yeah. If you mean by have to be, it means you have to be involved in a program that covers X issue, then, then no, because that's kind of an artificial construct. But if you're talking about, should my heart be open and aware and looking for opportunities to care for people in need and and sort of live my life with that openness and, and, um, not just an openness, if it, sort of passively comes, but actually with my eyes up, then absolutely. I don't, I'm with you, Bob. I don't know how you answer that question without ripping some, ripping some verses out of your Bible when it comes to the poor and the needy and the widows and the orphans. And even as I'm thinking about my example moments ago, every time we did that, you know, money on the table and then making your kids do it, I'm simultaneously feeling this is not getting it done. You know, so whatever you're doing is maybe not going to be the the most excellent way, but at least it's, you got to have movement and you got to have a heart and a disposition towards some sort of mercy because that's what Christians do. The reason my wife and I pursued international adoption was out of this conviction of just, I think we're supposed to care for the orphan and the widow. And here's a very practical way for us to do that. So we moved our lives in that direction, which led to our youngest daughter joining our family. Um, one of the coolest stories that, that I had that we have to tell in our family is we were discipling a young woman years ago before we planted Quamdale back when we were doing college ministry, discipling a young woman who made some bad choices, got pregnant out of wedlock, knew that abortion shouldn't be an option for her, came to us as her pastors and said, Hey, I need help. And so we just had the chance to walk with her through a nine month pregnancy and do both the discipleship of like, Hey, here's how, here's how we'd walk in repentance and faith and obedience, but also the practical, like, how do we help you? And so I have this memory of sitting in my living room with this young woman about six or seven months pregnant and some friends of ours from Dallas, Texas who were looking to adopt a kid that we had gotten on the phone with and said, Hey, why don't you fly to Omaha? Cause we have this girl who's pregnant and she wants to give this baby up for adoption. And we want it to go to a Christian family. And so we basically made this introduction in our living room between this couple that we knew who was looking to adopt and this young woman. And that's like one of the, mo- one of the coolest memories in, in yeah. my life is just like, I was trying to make this connection to, to sort of meet a very practical need and to provide mercy to a child who was going to be born in a vulnerable situation. It was really fun. Cause it just felt like, man, this is what Christians ought to do is like figure out how to solve these problems. Like we don't pawn this off on the government or on, you know, some nameless agency. We get personally involved and get our hands dirty and that kind of stuff. And when, when you do it, I'm answering your question a long way, but I think cause when, when you actually make that 
as much a part of Christianity as reading your Bible, praying, attending church, what it gives you a chance to do is have stories like that to tell of like, yeah. oh man, we got to do some cool things and saw God show up in some really neat ways in people's lives. And it always has like that earthy person to person feel rather than, Hey, I wrote a check to an organization or I showed up and did some volunteer hours. It's much more like grassroots, earthy, real human to real human kind of stuff. When you started telling that story, I thought you were talking about somebody else, <laughs> but the way it ended, I was uh, tracking differently. And I remember a similar story coming out of the same ministry and that girl finding my wife, keeping the pregnancy, having the baby, and is still now walking with Jesus, but was clearly not walking with Jesus until she got pregnant. And my wife just discipled that. So your point, Chris, moments ago, like discipleship is a part of mercy ministry along the way. If there are more questions that you want us to talk about related to Mercy Ministry listeners, I hope you reach out. David, thanks for teeing up these questions for us. Thanks for reading a provocative book about Spurgeon. And um, again, I think there's some freedom here for each church to sort of think about how it wants to engage Mercy Ministry. Um, and I think there is a biblical imperative for Christians to be doing this. I just think there's some some room for each church to sort of have the guidance of the Spirit here in what shape it takes. So if there's some dis, uh, some disagreement or some different perspectives you want us to engage, I hope that listeners will reach out and tell us where you want us to take the conversation next. But thanks for teeing up, David, a really good question for us to think about today. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.